0: all right hey how's it going it's bill with one l co-host of the twiddly podcast i hope you are all enjoying your summer i hope you're all staying cool in this record-breaking heat Uh, we got a few more weeks left of our best of series and then we start up with new episodes once again august the 7th thanks all for sticking around hope you're enjoying the flashbacks and as for now as they say on with the show All right and on the J- July the 24th Uh, In 1938, instant coffee is invented, uh, for for better or for worse. And instant coffee is the
1: only thing in the world that tastes like instant coffee.
0: Yeah. It doesn't taste specifically like coffee,
1: and it doesn't taste specifically like anything else, but it tastes like instant coffee. It's a really, really, really strange substance in that it's like you're describing a good cup of coffee to someone, (laughs) but they've never had coffee before, so their frame of reference is limited.
0: Yeah, um, I think I've had instant coffee like once like when we went camping or something like that. I mean, coffee technology has come a long way. I don't, yes, you know, with coffee, it's just coffee makers, and uh, then later on with the the Keurig machines and stuff like that. Almost no real use for <laughs> for instant coffee now you know mm-hmm. it's, a, it's
1: a well I, I, you it know if you're building a survival shelter right yeah. that's <laughs> that's a good place for it because it freeze dried and never goes anywhere
0: right right I was about to say I mean I mean, instant coffee and you, you can easily just use a french press to make coffee but like you said yeah it's it's freeze dried it's got a much much longer and sustainable shelf life
1: never gets stale because it starts off tasting like it already yeah. is
0: I love that uh, Stephen Wright joke I put instant coffee in the microwave and almost went back in time
1: <laughs> I think that the appeal of instant coffee, especially in like the 60s and 70s, which seems to be the 70s especially, was when it was, at least in my house, yeah. in my neighborhood, was when it was everybody drank some kind of freaking freeze-dried Folgers or Maxwell House Instant or whatever, was because it was convenient. You didn't have to have a coffee percolator. You didn't have, you know, you didn't have to have an expensive coffee drip machine. And, you know, as long as you put enough sugar and powdered cream or whatever other convenience things that you could put in there from space age of consumer products, like, eh, it all tasted kind of bad, but it was better than not having any coffee at all. Right. And as coffee makers got cheap, as Mr. Coffee became a thing what people could have in their houses.
0: Right. And easier to clean too. Right. Does I mean, we're talking about, you know, here we go, like 50s, 60s, 70s. We're actually, you know, we're talking about the time about, like, the early TV dinners, too. Right. You know, around that whole same time is, like, whenever the, you know, dad goes to work, mom stays home and cleans the house, kind of dynamic ended. Right, yep. Uh, so, yeah, you needed things to be a little more uh, zip, zip,
1: zip, let's go. Now we have so much leisure time to do what? Can watch more TV. Yay!
0: All right, on the 25th, what do you got?
1: So, this is a great story and, and something to which I was a participant, I believe. Uh, in 2017, sperm counts are described as being halved over the last 40 years by some research that was published in Human Reproduction Update. So that's a journal for, apparently, for human re- reproduction. Okay. So I don't remember that the issues folded out into a centerfold area of people who were reproducing. Guess not. They might have been.
0: The non-Pervo-sicky, kind of like scientists uh, into reproduction that are, like, really interested in the sort of thing. I was like, oh... Reproduction <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 I read this one For the articles yes. No you don't yes. <laughs>
0: Somebody this really Into mono buys Like you know Spleen
1: monthly yes. I'm sure you remember When those vans Full of like Burly dudes Went door to door Like they did for me And uh, I was like I was home on a Saturday And it was like 2016 I guess And there's a knock At my door And there's two guys In lab coats That stand there And one of them Is already putting gloves on And I was, tells me he's from This study about Sperm counts And they have to get a sample Because they're getting Samples from everybody What? And I was like it seems kind of weird Yeah no, it was weird. And I, I let them in, and they, they had to make sure that the sample wasn't tampered with and didn't get contaminated. So I stood there and talked to one guy while the other guy, like, with the gloves on, took a sample from me.
0: I, is this though. just in New Hampshire or something? Because. No, they, they said they went to everybody's
1: houses. They didn't go to your house? Were you not home that day? Uh, Jeff.
0: I think uh, you've been hornswoggled. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, I thought it was You've weird You've been hoodwinked.
0: I thought it was weird that these You've been jacked off, Jeff, is what I'm saying. That,
1: that these research scientists came to my house in a late model, Chevy Impala, with one door that was a different color than the rest of the car. I'm just putting that out there. But I thought that was like a scientist. And thing. An oil
0: pan cover that's dragging. I also
1: noticed my PlayStation was gone when I
0: left, so that was weird. And he made me throw away his gloves. Ooh. <laughs>
1: Anyway, he told me uh, only about half as much usually came yep, out. Yeah, that's
0: all because, of, what that meant. all because of Mountain Dew, apparently. There's a conspiracy theory. Mountain Dew lowers your sperm count. I used to drink a, a, a heroic amount of Mountain Dew in the 80s and 90s, and people were like, that lowers your sperm count, you know? I'm like, I give a shit. You know? Better for me if I'm firing blanks. So. <laughs> July 26th,
1: 1609, English mathematician Thomas Harriot is the first person to draw a map of the moon by looking at it through a telescope. Now, it doesn't sound all that momentous but think about it just a little bit deeper, right? There's no place you can stand on Earth and draw a map of the Earth.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah, solid point, right, yeah.
1: Right, but you can draw the map of effectively another planet or dwarf planet or, or our moon by viewing it through an early, early telescope to the point where you can pick out features, give features names, That's where we get- Sea of Tranquility. Uh, the Sea of Tranquility, etc. It's from Thomas Harriot's original, original mappings. Now, in the years and decades and centuries since then- more detailed maps have been built using more sophisticated technologies and better telescopes. Oh, yeah. But it all goes back to that very first guy who's like, hey, you know what? I bet if I look at that through this thing that makes things bigger, (laughs) I I can probably map it out. And it's the first time another planet was mapped by anyone. It, It doesn't sound momentous, but it's huge. It's a huge, huge thing.
0: I wonder if they, like, printed that out, so to speak, and brought it with them on the first moon landing there in 1969. Like kinda like all right, now hold it hold it hold it up straight. I gotta see where we're going here. <laughs> right. Uh we're supposed
1: to take a left at the <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't see the craters that he, uh, oh, you know, this isn't to scale. <laughs> it's an amazing consideration. I, and I think about cartography uh, and how maps were, were made here and for the world that you typically use, like the Mercator projection, which is sort of maps of all the coastlines that people have sort of built and put together based on latitude and longitude. So it's not an accurate picture of what the Earth looks like because it's not fully visible whereas the moon is fully
0: visible through a telescope. At least, yeah, this side of it anyway.
1: Right, at least one side of it anyway, yes. You
0: know what? I bet you Thomas Harriot's directions on the moon were way more accurate than we'll say (laughs) Waze.
1: Turn left. Now! Now! But it's a kid's party. Turn left! I drove through somebody's yard because my GPS told me. Uh, Waze, designed by the people who make the fourth star light up on Grand Theft Auto (laughs) 3. I don't use Waze.
0: Somebody told me that Waze was, like, the best one. And I was like, all right, I'll download it. And then, like, you know, I drive down to Florida quite often. And they were like, yeah, we're only good for, like, the first 250 miles. And after that, you're on your own. I'm like, what? And then that was early version of Waze. And then I used it again to get to, like, Six Flags. And they had me, like, going through Connecticut to get there. I was like, look.
1: Brought to you by the Connecticut Chamber of Commerce. Like, they're the sponsors (laughs) of that road, you know, that that particular uh, destination.
0: A man by the name of Norman Lear, who was born July 27th, 1922. You could not uh, watch or enjoy any 1970s television without running into Norman Lear. He was an American producer and writer, mostly sitcoms. He did All in the Family, Sanford and Son, Maude, The Jeffersons, One Day at a Time. There was a soap opera spoof that was really popular for like two years and then just vanished called Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Yeah, yeah, that was... That was one of his uh, as well. Yeah, just iconic 1970s sitcom stuff. I mean, every single one of those we watched around the house, except for maybe one or two, but most of them, yeah. Oh, Good Times, Good Times was his as well.
1: Yep, you almost could not not run into a Norman Lear production like between 73 or so and like 77 as far as sitcoms go. His stuff was definitely the longest lasting and, and the most consistently awarded, I think, for American sitcoms too.
0: So on July the 28th, 1945, a U.S. B-25 bomber crashes into the 79th floor of the Empire State Building and 14 people were killed, including the pilot and his two crew members. Uh,
1: I'm putting I'm throwing the flag down. That's my one football reference <laughs> that I'm ever going to use on this show. Throwing the penalty flag down because have you forgotten, Bill, that this is this week was way better last year and our focus is on things that are like funny? And or interesting and less on 14 dead people and a dead pilot
0: from a plane crash. As I was saying, a female elevator operator survives a 75 story elevator plunge, which still stands to this day as the Guinness record for the longest survived elevator fall, which opens a lot of questions up for me right now.
1: That's an impressive silver lining. You know what? I withdraw my penalty (laughs) call.
0: Yeah, elevator girl Betty Lou Oliver, she was 20 years
1: old in 1945, plummeted 75 stories in an elevator, and I'm sure had some terrifying concerns during that plummet. 75 stories is a lot of stories. That's like almost 1,000 feet.
0: She just walks out at the very last minute like Bugs Bunny.
1: Just...
0: I'm not a math guy,
1: as we all know, but I'm trying to calculate like how long she was plummeting down.
0: Right, 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 yeah. I'm I'm not gonna sit here and try to figure it out too, but No, no. I'm just saying... can you imagine the
1: amount of like shrieking, horrifying terror that you would have for that amount of time and then to be hit the ground and break your ankle.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the doors open. Boop <laughs> Please watch the <this> step.
0: <laughs> First floor, ladies' lingerie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reception. <laughs> wow. That record still stands to this day because Nobody wants to try it, nor will anybody let you try to beat
1: it. <laughs> I guess you'd have to blow the cables in some other elevator for a higher floor count to make a, a record attempt at that. Yeah, so. who's
0: gonna let you though? No, no one. No one's gonna let you. do Oh that. my god, dude! The elevator, the elevator that we had. You know, there was four uh, four cars that was uh, uh, that we had in Chicago when I was at that hot sauce contest. Number one, we tried to avoid that one because. One time when we were going down, it was making what I can only describe to you as Warner Brothers cartoon-type noises. You just hear, (laughs) like, clanging bars and stuff like that. Like, it was cartoonish in nature, but horror movie in in nature as well, because we were like, oh, my God, this is it. This is it. This is is how I die. We're going to beat Elevator Girl's record. Oh, my God, I'm going to go to heaven with a stomachache. This is going to be terrible. (laughs) All right. Next up
1: on the twenty ninth, July twenty ninth, Bill is one of our unusual holidays. Yay! And and normally we celebrate things that we understand, <laughs> like National Pancake Day, which is my favorite holiday, sure. or you know, um, Flip Flop Day, intergenerational table tennis day, or whatever. Yep. But July twenty ninth is actually System Administrator Appreciation Day.
0: Okay, I don't know what that means. <laughs>
1: Well, it means that it's the day that the system administrator at wherever your workplace is threatens to turn off your access to the internet if you don't give him a card.
0: Oh, IT guy. So effectively,
1: it's the IT guy, yes. Oh, okay. Traditional uh, celebrations include eating Hot Pockets and watching episodes of the IT crowd and or quoting Doctor Who to the point where other people want to hit you over the head with a book.
0: We had an IT guy a couple of years back. His His name was Tim, who we just started calling him IT Tim, and he was a cool guy. His contract ran out. We got another guy, and I think his name was Aleem. He was hyper-focused when he was working. He was working and did not want to be bothered, not conversational at all. And unfortunately for everybody, he was always working. So everybody thought he was like the biggest <laughs> dick. Um, I happened to catch him like just as he was going on break, and he wasn't working one time, and he was actually a really cool guy. But when he that was, was yeah. But when he was working, hyper focused, yeah.
1: Super focused, yeah.
0: yeah. And then his contract ran, ran and I, I appreciated Aleem uh, today. I would appreciate Aleem today if he was still around. Uh, but the new guy that we got. I don't even know what he looks like. I think I caught him out of the corner of my eye, and then I turned and he was gone. He's like an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> He's an illusion, yeah. It's
1: like, a, like an 8-gig eight, an eight thumb drive. I saw it here somewhere, and it's gone now. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think we should appreciate the IT guy simply because every IT guy I've ever met just has that at least 1% psychoticness to them. They're
1: the people who can very easily thread into a conversation with you I know how much porn you watch. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be hard-pressed to be like, hey, you know what? I bet
0: you do. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Happy happy System Administrator Day. Uh, your card is downstairs in the self-repair bay.
0: You are much appreciated. Dot
1: org. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get on to the 30th. What do you got?
1: July 30th, 1975. Now, this is a sort of a funny number, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Uh, It's the 7th annual San Diego Comic-Con at the El Cortez Hotel. Okay. It's interesting, not because it's the 7th Comic-Con, but in 1975, it was the 7th. So we think of these things as being really popular now. Right. And they started in 1968. Yeah, and
0: Marvel Comics only started in, like, what... 65 or 66, 65,
1: right? 65 or 66, right. Yeah. And it, so part of it sprung out of like science fiction conventions for writers and and Star Trek fans because that was a big boost after Star Trek went off the air. But for for it to be like comic oriented where a lot of comic books were sold and artists were featured and stuff, very little has changed between what was going on in 68, 69, 70, even 75 and today.
0: Uh, including down to down to cosplay
1: was was still being done.
0: It's a lot different now. I was involved and time will tell if I get back involved with the Comic-Con circuit for about uh 10 years, but prior to the the Tony Stark thing that I used to do, back in the 90s, I used to go to the like the early 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 Boston Comic-Con and it, right. and it was like on the the top floor of the Howard Johnson's. It was like three rooms Right. And there was, like, you know, a, a bunch of comic book stores from the area with their big long boxes that you could look yep. through. And there was a couple of artists. And now, well, one, Boston Comic Con doesn't even exist anymore. Right. And two, it's more vendors than anything now. Well, I think a lot of it is like when you had like Star
1: Trek conventions, there used to be like Galaxy Con and Rebel Con and all these other things that were all Star Trek and science fiction media oriented. And I think they all sort of kind of ended up ultimately merging. Here in New Hampshire, we have Grand Estate Comic Con, which started out as, again, long boxes from my local comic shop and some others that were in New Hampshire. Yeah, it's my friend
0: Pat that puts that one on.
1: Right at the the Holiday Inn in Concord, which is like a hotel that's big enough for seven people. And then um, it grew out of that into a much, much, much bigger event with a lot fewer comic books and a lot more people selling toys and books and and um, cosplay sort of lessons and things and pictures and people that you could meet and get autographs from with still panel discussions and other stuff. But it's a lot more focused on the media side yeah. than it is on, like, the comic book side anymore. And that'll, that'll, I think that'll eventually kind of switch back at some point in the future.
0: In um, most of the cons now, I can only speak for the New England area, but most of the cons now are just, they're not comic book oriented. I think the only... Right. But, like, Boston Comic Con doesn't exist anymore. It's called Fan Expo now. You know, and then there's the Super Mega Fest, which is the one I really liked. And there's a few others, like Terrific Con, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they're, by and large, all mainly the same. They're all multimedia cons.
1: Right. And I I think that as multimedia becomes more condensed, Mm -hmm. so, like, Warner Brothers now owns DC Comics, which now owns... (laughs)
0: everything that disney doesn't yeah
1: everything that disney doesn't and disney owns star wars and and marvel Marvel, that it's much more likely that they're looking to cross promote or use are they using the books as a kind of as a accessory to the films which is where they really make their money and and it's a little bit different now because of that i think for sure but i i think that the collector side of it there are already smaller ones that start now and now and again where it's just like the local comic book stores are like four guys and 25 long boxes in a one hotel ballroom. And they're selling out all of their other stock. And they still build those around here every now and then as Comic-Cons.
0: You know, prior to the, the pandemic, you know, the Comic-Cons, it, it really just it started becoming more of a showcase for... The cosplayers, yeah. you know, it became like a cosplay con, so to speak. And they yeah. just so happen to sell comic books there, too, sometimes. Yeah. And I, so one of the reasons I kind of stopped
1: going was that and I, I had a, I would typically go there to buy comic books. Yeah. When I when I released my book Escape Clause, I did a book signing at Grant State Comic Con. I had what table and everything. I signed, I think, 10 books or 20 books or something. The last year I went, I took my son and my nephew and they were dressed as the Venture Brothers. Yep was awesome. And a couple of people recognized them as we were walking around. But it was still more like you'd just see people mingling around as opposed to like a gauntlet of people in costumes on the way in. People, you know, taking pictures or charging for pictures and all this other sort of stuff. And that sort of started to happen more the year afterwards. And by then I was already like, well, there weren't any comic books to buy, so I didn't go.
0: <laughs> well, we'll see how the world shapes up to be when the world fully opens back up in the uh, upcoming future. We'll see... What? We'll see how things change. I I I really looked forward to the ones the, the horror ones. because they one, they stuck bowl with a the theme, and that that theme is something I really like. I'm really into the, the horror stuff, so
1: I know I used to go to um, the, the Babylon five Rebel Con that was down in Ton Mass. Uh, I went to that for years. Three or four years in a row. I had a great time.
0: Alright, well, fingers crossed for the upcoming months, guys. The worst song ever all right jeff when i called you up this week i was like hey what do we got for worst song ever you're like oh i'm on it and uh, i'm on it i got something yeah Yeah. i actually had never heard of this until you brought it to my attention and boy am i glad you did and i had never heard of this until i brought it to my attention so how do you think i feel Uh, tell us all about it jeff
1: all right as the world knows i love weird outsider music i love the shags which we've talked about on this show And I love Crispin, Helly, and Glover and all these other weird, weird one-off records and weird sometimes novelty songs. Stuff that's from the outside. Frank Zappa a little bit. Captain Beefheart a lot. Right. All these things. So in <laughs> 1968, a guy named Legendary Stardust Cowboy is loosed upon the world. And Legendary Stardust Cowboy is hard to define. Think a guy in yellow leather chaps and a 10-gallon hat and a fringy coat playing... With one other person, T-Bone Burnett, on a small, small drum kit, shrieking (laughs) madly. Well, out of time with anything that resembles timed drumming for two and a half minutes on average per song. And that is Legendary Stardust Cowboy. The song I bring up as the worst song ever is actually listed as the worst song ever released on a major label. Oh wow. It's his first single called Paralyzed, which was printed 500 copies or something. Was typically referred to as the, what the hell is this? That's kind of like what the reviews of this silly song are. <laughs> Play a clip of uh, Paralyzed. Max, Max, Goodness, Jeff. So, wow. I, I, as as a full admission here in the interim, since f- hearing the song for the first time, I have listened to this song approximately 250 times since yesterday. And uh, <laughs> every time I listen to it, I like it a little bit more because it's so strange and so weird. <laughs> Tendrils of this that are, like, almost early punk, like early pure ubu, and there's weird, like, garage rock stuff that falls into it because it's gibberish, kind of like Louie Louie. You can hear, like... Frank Zappa, the Mothers of Invention, and all this other crazy craziness in there. And technically it's still a weird-ass country song. It just does a million things for me.
0: As I'm looking over here, I'm I'm looking at some of the notes for, for the show. Here's something that makes perfect sense to me. Legendary Stardust uh, comes out to say LSD, which was really popular <laughs> at the so? time, yeah. Could have possibly been a major influence on this guy's style.
1: Yes, LSD Cowboy, yes. Definitely out there. His real name is Norman Odom, and he still plays.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: A lot of the weird, like, rockabilly or psycho rockabilly psycho billy stuff that you see that mm-hmm. still kind of comes around today, like the Reverend Horton Heat and some other stuff. They all owe Legendary Stardust Cowboy or The Ledge as he's known to his fans.
0: Yeah, John Peel, legendary, uh, you know, record producer over in England. He used to have, you know, a radio show. Yeah, Paralyzed was actually very popular on that show. For something that's like outsider, this kind of like wraps back around to Rocky Horror. You know, where the Rocky Horror Picture Show is not a good movie, but it just became very popular for being as weird as it is. And I think that's where stuff like LSD Cowboy over here and the Shags and your other guy that you keep bringing up there, Captain Beefheart, all fall into that category where, and also like one of my favorites there, Julian Cope, Right. you know, where they just have this like following who just love how weird these people are. You know, anybody can enjoy the Beatles, but, it, you know, sometimes you just got to step out of that little box, you know? Well,
1: again, it's one of those, like, it's it depends on what you define as being, as enjoying something. Sometimes you can enjoy things that are super spicy. Like, we were talking about ghost peppers earlier before the show was yep. recording, right? I don't t- typically love eating super hot things, but I like those every now and then in, in yep. food because it's a different sensation. So hearing something like Paralyzed or, or any of his other weird kid <laughs> trust me, all of his songs are strange. Yep. Any of his other weird songs, it's that same kind of like, yeah, I'm not gonna sing along with this because you can't. <laughs> but I can, I can listen to it and like appreciate just how how much weirdness there is in it, and and just in and of itself, that makes it interesting for me,
0: and and horrible for everybody and else.
1: <laughs> A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibly, or www.bly. Subscribe, if you haven't already, and tell your friends. Maybe they need to learn how to spell potato.